Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I am. I'm good. Uh, I we are we are recording late because uh, the NBA is back, and there was a, a fantastic uh, Clippers Warriors game, which I've which I watched, and I, I know you enjoyed watching it as well. This is this is no tech Ben talking, right? That's right. That's right. We have a guest. We have a guest host today. <laughs> I, I, our listeners will have missed you giving me a hard time, telling me that we need to start right now because you're pressed for time. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, Ben, let's get going. Then I'm ready whenever you are." Yeah, um, that's yeah. Um, it's no tech Ben's fault. It's not. It's not Ben. Uh, yeah, guys, for those that know, I have an alternate Twitter persona, which is at uh, No Tech Ben. <laughs> Um, where you don't want to follow because it's like me complaining about refs and stuff like that. I very, very much appreciate the way you uh, kind of firewall off those two separate parts of your online personality. Yeah, they, they seep over sometimes, but um, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I got, got mouths to feed. I can't be driving people away. Mm. I do that. I drive people away up, uh, on my own just <laughs> fine. Well, maybe, maybe there might be a little bit of seeping over on this episode. We'll see how we go. But before we do, so actually, oh, sorry. Oh, okay. No, you go ahead. I was, I was going to thank Wealthfront for sponsoring us. Um, Wealthfront's an automated investment service built for the modern era, and it's making it easier than ever to invest your money well. How do they do it? Well, Wealthfront uses software instead of retail location, salespeople, and so on, so it can offer sophisticated investment advice at low costs that were previously impossible. It's exploded in popularity in the last two years, and they now have more than $2.5 billion under management. Check them out at wealthfront.com exponent to get up to $15,000 managed for free. So um, speaking of, uh, uh, you know, I'm always aware, you don't want to do the, the too snarky tweet, right? Because, you know, I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> you don't want to drive you away too much. Uh, I did I did have a couple though, and I'm actually, uh, we didn't talk about this, but I'm interested in your, in your take. Mm. Uh, there was a little bit of a brouhaha on Twitter um, about Twitter. Never. Nothing, nothing, yeah, nothing inspires, uh, uh, you know, a, a, <laughs> freak out on Twitter, like Twitter. Mm. Um, and uh, they changed the favorite to a like and the star to a heart. Um, what's your take? Is You know what's terrible? When did they do this? I didn't even know they did this. Well, there's their problem right there, I suppose. Well, I, it, it, did the, it didn't, if it doesn't show up on TweetBot, it didn't happen. Ah, yes. No, it, it, it's, on the, it's on the main Twitter client only and on the web. Um, I, although I believe they are, they have changed the API docs to to say like basically third party clients have to change as well. Um, but yeah, on the uh, on it's now on TweetDeck as of today. Uh, it, w- it wasn't yesterday. Uh, if you if you want to f- what the artist formerly known as fave someone, mm. uh, you hit a heart and it's a very bright red heart. It's it's um, and there's a lot of consternation, a lot of consternation about this. Yeah, it's interesting, right? And I, I think this is something that seems to be coming up time and time again with Twitter, which is uh, there is this core group of uh, power users, probably folks like us, that uh, continue to use the service and are probably very valuable uh, to the service because we're probably people like us are pretty valuable to target from an advertising point of view. Plus we're advocates for Twitter and we're the people raving about it. And all our friends are like, I tried to use it and I don't know what you're talking about. But part of part of Twitter's problem is that it needs to appeal to a whole bunch of other people that may have logged in once, thought what is going on here and abandoned it. And if they can make it easier for people who are used to other social networks to pick it up and understand what on earth is going on, 
Then from the perspective of broadening its appeal and making it easier to adopt, I think it's probably a good thing. Yeah, that, that's definitely my my initial reaction. Well, one, this definitely feels a little tempest in a teapotist, right? Mm. I mean, people are like having like angsty and like you know, like I'm reevaluating my life reactions to mm-hmm. to this, and it's it's a you know it's a glyph. Um, I I tweet I tweeted speaking speaking of snark, uh, something something to the effect that next time Twitter makes a change, they should also add a baby bottle button. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I'll, I'll link to the tweet in the show uh, notes, um, so you can unfollow me uh, more conveniently. Um, but uh, but I also noted you know, I said something to the effect of you know wait people are losing losing their minds over a star to heart and you know what are they going to do when and if Twitter switches to an algorithmic timeline. Um, mm. But it's you're right. You it's it's a it's a very hard problem. The way a friend of mine put it, um, he's just like, you know, it's so hard. I'm quoting him. It's so hard to change a product that one people have tried and abandoned, and two love and don't want to change. Mm. Like those those are so orthogonal mm. uh, that it really it really does put Twitter in a tough spot. And I think um, you know. For sure, Twitter is a very long road ahead of it. And again, I think I've said in the podcast, like I'm kind of annoyed that I'm known as like this Twitter bull when I, I've been the biggest bear for a long time. I'm still pretty bearish. Um, I'm optimistic, an optimistic bear. Uh, but <laughs> that's a new I, category. I th- yeah, I, I like it. Um, I do think that the reason where I think that the issue with this, beyond the fact that yeah, I get a heart, it feels pretty intense, and you know, Facebook, the the thumbs up is so great because it it can be ambivalent. Right. Mm. Um, but the heart is better in some ways. Like, like, oh, the star meant so many things. It could meant safer later. It could mean acknowledgement. It could mean this. But that's the whole problem with Twitter in a nutshell. Mm. The whole problem with Twitter in a nutshell is it does everything. And so if you don't know what you want from it, it does, it effectively does nothing. And a, a heart being super clear and distinct is in some respects a big improvement for the new user. But you have the old users, and I don't know. I, one thing that I've said, kind of, and one reason I like moments, and something I think that Twitter needs to approach is going on, and why this might be a bit of a mistake actually, is I think Twitter just needs to leave the main timeline alone. Just let let the old users have it, mm. and all the focus needs to be on um, building different experiences, including the algorithm timeline, including moments, whatever it might be, and let people like sit in their sandbox and and do and do what they do. Um, but but this mess with the main time, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it, they're in a tough spot for sure. And I think this is this, that such a minor thing, you know, raises such outrage. And we're, we're in the bubble. We're on Twitter all the time. Yeah. Um, but what you describe makes a ton of sense, right? Like you ha- more than anything else that, that, that's that existing timeline is what people come back for. The, the hardcore users come back for. And what they've got to figure out is how to, how to bring on new users, and it was funny. Like you mentioned, moments, and in this, con- in this, in the context of this conversation around what the old hardcore users uh, react to and talk about, and I, I, I followed, I follow a, obviously a few old old school hardcore users, and one of them was just bitching about moments. It's like they're picking things. Are they does like I can't imagine that they pick things that are 
they've managed to pick things that like I it's not that I just don't care about I actively dislike them what are they doing this product is doomed to fail and I was like okay that's one take but another there, there, there might be a sign of success exactly that's exactly what I thought it's like I, I I like look at the click on the profile picture of this person and it's like yeah that looks like the current existing Twitter user and maybe Ooh. they need to change the look <laughs> of the current existing Twitter well uh, I will leave aside uh, stereotyping I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you be in charge well, of that. Well, well, we, no, we, so, we fit into the stereotype too. So that's true. Well, there, there was a no. There's another user who's like, I've been using Twitter since 2006, and I can't figure this out. Like, well, that's yes, that's, that's the, <laughs> the irony of that statement, right? Um, yeah, and yeah, they're they're in a tough spot. Uh, but uh, it was interesting. I just wanted to uh, yeah see, see what your reaction was. Well, I'm still rooting for them. I, I'm 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 like you in that I'm more optimistic about them. Uh, over the last little while than I have been in a, in a long time. And I, I want them to succeed because like we've talked about, I feel like more so than any other service, it best represents the promise of the internet. And I hope they can turn it around. Well, and the downside. I mean, there's a reason why the worst harassment all that sort of stuff happens on Twitter. I mean, this stuff, uh, you definitely get... Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's like with anything else. You raise the ceiling on something, you lower the floor. Totally. Um, and yeah, and that, and that makes... It makes it that much harder. I mean, yeah, Twitter has such potential, but that means realizing it is arguably that much more, that much more difficult. Um, one more thing, uh, you, you, you saw Facebook's earnings, right? Uh, another thing that I'm I'm living in my own little uh, myopic bubble of being an yeah, and operator, I, I, and I'm adding all these topics yep. you, that that we no, are that's not okay. to talk about. Sorry, uh, you know, no, they're they're um, uh, nine point. They doubled, or they're up fifty percent of their ad revenue per user. Wow. Uh, one one point zero one billion daily active users. Uh, four point five billion revenue. Um, yeah, I think they're um, feeling pretty good about the Facebook epoch piece, to say the least. I mean, understandably so. I feel like you called it. Um, so, yeah. so Facebook does tie in a little bit to uh, uh, what I want. Well, there's a second thing I want to talk about, but I wrote about the the Grantland thing, and I know um, again, U.S. more. Well, they had international sports, but I, maybe not a big focus for you. But here comes no tech ban. Yeah. Uh, so Gr- Grantland was this, uh, this website, um, that ESPN launched. It was launched by a guy named Bill Simmons, who was a U.S. sports writer. Uh, probably one of the most influential sports writers, um, probably the most influential of his generation. He was really the first guy to get the internet. Mm. Um, he started out writing like base, base a column at AOL uh, mm. back in 1997. Wow. Um, and yeah, and it was Fantastic. It was really like, it was one of the very few sites that I went to daily to the front page because I went there presuming whatever there was going to be good. And it almost always was. Um, and it, it went out of business or, uh, so Simmons and ESPN parted ways, uh, this, this summer in a somewhat acrimonious fashion. Mm. And a few months later, Grantland is now dead. And it's interesting because there's been tons of pieces about, oh, you know, it couldn't succeed. It was bad. And for sure, uh, on the surface, that's all 100% right. Uh, I mean, they, they have like an editorial staff of like 50, but like, you know, five or six million page views a month, which is it, even despite the fact that they had basically zero advertising on the site, even if they had loaded on advertising, like you're, you're not making money that way. And one of the takeaways, and this is something we, we, we've touched on a bit, uh, is was that well, they didn't have scale that like they weren't, it's fine that they want to do a bunch of brilliant long form pieces, but without all the filler in the middle that like drives page views and gets people coming back and gets shared on social media and all that sort of stuff. And there's a really good article articulating this on, on Vox. Um, we'll put in the show notes that basically, you know, they didn't have a chance and that's, 
exactly right um, when you look at the world of publishing. We've talked about the whole jungle in the tree sort of idea mm-hmm. or the jungle floor where you can survive if you get massive scale, uh, which you know the Vox properties are going for, BuzzFeed is doing, although their business model is, is, is a bit unique as we've talked about. Um, or you can survive if you're keep costs super low, which the internet lets you do, you know, which is, you know, what I do, what, you know, people, what John Gruber does. Um, there's a, a, a guy who I've got a chance to meet online named, named Luke Timmerman. He, he just passed a thousand subscribers to his a uh, hundred dollar a year, uh, blog about biotech. Mm. So it's not, it's not only fine for Ben, it's fine for Luke as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah, no, it is, it is super cool. Um, but you know, there's this question and it's one that I've pointed out. We've talked about that can anything survive in the middle? And, you know, this site is being held up as an example of, no, it can't. And it's a reasonable, it's a reasonable takeaway. About to suggest that there might be a different take though. Well, I don't know. I mean, cause that's been my assumption for a while, but so what's something that's interesting that has happened is that, um, Bill, like Simmons was on his contract. His contract didn't actually finish until August or something. So he was kind of off the radar for a few months. And he, he, he came back in September or October 1st uh, with a podcast. And he's had a, he was actually very early to podcasting as well. Mm. Um, he, he's had the BS Report was his podcast for six or seven years, maybe might even be longer. Um, very popular. Apparently had, you know, uh, down downloads in the hundreds of thousands per episode. Awesome. Um, since he came back, uh, very few ads though, again, and which he complained about a lot. He's like, why, you know, why is he been monetizing this, all this sort of stuff. Um, anyhow, since he came back, he's been pumping out three podcasts a week. Uh, apparently is already passed like 7 million downloads, uh, like averaging somewhere between 400 and $500,000 an episode. 400,000 has been reported. I've heard, uh, privately that it's now well over 500,000. Um, and again, no figuring out podcast rates is, is a little tricky, but if, you know, um, if you, from what you can discover, there are some podcasts out there with like a hundred thousand listeners that are grossing well over 10,000 an episode. Um, if that scales literally he's make, you know, he, he's potentially putting away a f- over a hundred thousand dollars a week. And, What's interesting about this is, as we've talked about um, privately with 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 Exponent, um, podcasts do. They're, they're, it's a great. Um, we'll focus on podcasts for a moment, but podcasts are a great advertising vehicle. Like you know, we we had a little chit chat. We talked about Wealthfront. Thanks, Wealthfront. You guys are awesome. And and it's in the flow. It, it's yes, you could theoretically skip it, but it's short, and you know, you get something in it, and you can you can slip in references like I just did. Um, <laughs> Not intentionally, um, but uh, it's it's a na- it's a native ad, mm. right? It, and and you and I have gone back and forth on native ads, and I, I've always liked podcasts as an example of native ads that I think. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know they, they, they work, and because they're in the flow, that they fit the format, and that's so key. Like the, all that's what ads do, and it takes a while to figure them out, and. The, the long and short of it, the problem with podcasts though, sorry, I'm, going, I'm rambling a little bit, but the problem with podcasts is it's really hard to grow a podcast. And the reason is you can't, sh- a podcast can't go viral, right? You can't mm-hmm. share it on Twitter. You can't share it on Facebook. I mean, you can, but you're asking a lot. No one's going to be flipping through their Twitter feed or their Facebook feed, which we talked about is kind of the NPC spot. Like, oh, I'm going to now devote the next hour to listen to an episode of Exponent, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so the way you grow 
a podcast. A podcast can monetize very well, but the way you grow it, you need to grow it using a different media. And a great media for growth and for going viral happens to be text writing text on the internet. That's all Simmons may, you know, yes, you can say, oh, that's fine for Simmons. He's getting all these downloads. He's getting all those downloads because he started out writing for AOL in 1997. And the reason we get traction is because, you know, your writing and my writing. And, um, and it's interesting um, that I just kind of, it feels like all these discussions about making money on the internet when it comes to publishing, just only think about text. And that made sense in a, in a time when uh, a business only did one thing. If you're, if you're a newspaper and you have printing presses and trucks and all that sort of stuff, of course, everything you do is going to be centered around the actual newspaper, right? But in a world today where costs are low, where the cost of production is super low for all kinds of media, it's not about the format. The format is an implementation detail. It's about the, the content. It's about the person making the content. And it makes sense if you back up and you, you let go of all the ways you thought about a person and their output previously. It's not people aren't interested in reading words by me. They're interested in hearing my opinions, whether I can manifest them through text or manifest them through a podcast. And the same with you, same with anyone. Um, and once you think about it that way, think about it as a whole, instead of kind of artificially slip splitting it up, mm. suddenly the route to monetization, you can you have lots of more levers to pull than it seems you might in a in a world of text. I think that's a really good point. Like it's it's so easy to slip into the trap of having your thinking defined by the previous paradigm. And if you're in the newspaper industry, it's text. And if you're in the TV industry, it's motion. And if you're in the radio industry, it's audio. But when it, when it comes to a, a reader, those are all mechanisms that are competing for various people's attention. It's, exactly. It's, it's an attention market. It's, it's an, yeah. And it's more easy than ever to, uh, uh, to participate and create content in any of those mechanisms. And the delivery method for most people now is either a computer or even more and more frequently a phone. And a phone doesn't give a shit whether it's, a, whether it's, whether it's pulling down words or, uh, audio or video, it'll give it to you however you want it whatever you want. So th- yeah, this- no, it's not a computer at all. It is the phone. And you're right. right. That is, that is the critical piece. Cause the, your phone does all formats perfectly fine and treats them perfectly equally as it should. They're all bits, right? right. There's, there's, there's no actual difference between text and audio and video beyond the fact, the way in which you consume it, but the way in which you consume it means you can leverage that to your example. Just like, inter- like the newspapers can bitch about the internet and how it, 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 it it destroyed their their uh, revenue streams, but it also, as we talked about, the reason why small people can benefit, like me. Um, well, I'm getting larger and larger, but um, as far as my gut goes, but uh, small people from a business perspective can benefit is is because costs can be so low. Like there, there's pluses and minuses to the changes that have happened, and the pluses and minus in this case are that, yeah, you you can you can deliver you you can you can meet people in more places in their life, more places in, in their day, day-to-day actions. When they're bored, they're lazing around, they're flipping through Facebook, boom, you can, you can get their attention, right? You get their attention, now they follow you, maybe they check in once in a while, then you can lever that up to something else. Now, well, they have a long commuter, they have a long drive. Mm. Oh, I 
want a new podcast and you can try it out. They listen to the podcast. They start liking it. They listen to it. They, they, they subscribe. Maybe then they like, well, I'd like to get more that we talk about subscriptions. They subscribe to the site. Now it's there every day. And you can actually get this multi, you, you, your tools to build an effective funnel are so much more varied and advanced than they ever were before. Mm-hmm. And your tools at the bottom of the funnel to monetize and to make money are also more varied than ever before. And when, once you change the paradigm to being people, away from being format, like it seems like the potential is actually a lot greater and, and maybe it's not quite so dire as everyone thinks it is. This is, and so it's, it's reminding me of something else and, uh, and let's put aside the argument around whether, whether this is, uh, whether, whether what I'm about to say is actually correct, but the argument itself is interesting which is uh, from the music industry's perspective, it used to be that the concerts almost, uh, the concerts were the the loss leader that brought people in so they would sell lots and lots of albums. And the argument was made in the digital era that that got flipped on its head, that almost the loss leader that got attention was were the tracks that you put out there to get attention and then you make money on these massive concerts. Now, right or wrong, let's put that aside. It's, 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 illustrative or instructive in terms of of what we're talking about here is that in the previous world, one format used to be perfect for monetizing, but in the new world that maybe maybe text is no good for monetizing and that text is actually like a loss leader that you use to go out and market with. And then you leverage that to convert into a different format that monetizes way better. No, exactly. And it's, it's so any, any time your business model entails swimming upstream, like you're in, you're in trouble. And I say this as someone whose business model swims upstream and this, this, this whole process has actually been very thought provoking for me. But like the fact of the matter is that as I've said before, the the fundamental unit of the internet is text, right? And so Mm -hmm. if you're trying to make money by having some sort of exclusive right to text or by, by showing more text, and driving, you know, basically building an infinite advertising inventory like that. It's tough, right? It's mm. tough to and, and it it sure makes more sense to wouldn't it be easier to push the rock downhill instead of uphill. Right. Um, but you're right. You, you you get stuck in a set state of thinking that 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 makes you you know, potentially miss opportunities. And and for, for folks who are listening, uh, uh, can you ground that for us when you say swimming upstream versus pushing the rock uphill versus <laughs> I, downhill? I, well, this is how you mix metaphors. Uh-huh. Uh, first you... <laughs> 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 no, what I mean is like to try to make money off of text on the internet is unbelievably difficult. It's easily, trivially copied uh, there's tons of text on the internet. Like the competition is insane. Mm. Like it's just a really, like the amount of ads on the internet are effectively infinite, which so the cost goes to zero unless you have good tracking and all that sort of stuff, which, which most publications don't really have. Um, and, and so you see, and so either you get massive scale where you can get brand advertising directly, you know, like something like Vox is doing, uh, or, uh, more realistically, you, you scrape away on pennies a day, you know, maybe Facebook helps you out, maybe all this sorts of stuff. It's, it's hard because you're working against the economic fact that there's a ton of supply mm. and there's, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a non, it's a non-rival good. Mm-hmm. Like it can be copied infinitely. So you just, you're, you're working against basic economics. Mm-hmm. 
And then pushing on, the rock downhill? Well, pushing the rock downhill is on the flip side, the fact that text spreads so easily and is so and can be viral and there's social networks and all this sort of stuff means the opportunity to reach people is so massive. Your addressable market is 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 effectively infinitely larger than it was before. I mean, like uh, someone like me, I mean, I could reach like my five friends around the lunch table before the internet. Now I can reach every single person like, and, and why not embrace that and reach as many people command attention and then focus that attention into another place where the, it works much better. Like the, the flip side of podcasts, for example, the flip, the flip side of, and I'm not saying podcasts at the end, I'll be all it just, mm. it's just you, interesting in the case of, of Simmons here. Uh, the thing with podcasts is the entire reason why they're hard to grow is exactly why they're great advertising vehicles because they command your attention, right? And it's hard to ask somebody to commit an hour of their time, but once they've committed an hour of their time, then it that, that's super attractive to advertisers in a way that forget about it text that someone spit out in 20 minutes isn't. It's super interesting. And you begin to like place all types of content on this sharing versus attention spectrum where if if it's easy to share, then then use it as a mechanism to grow audience. But if it's something that commands more of your attention, then it, it lends itself better to advertising or monetizing. No, exactly. And, and I'm not sure, like there's, like, again, I, I'm focused on podcasting because the Simmons thing, it's mm. unclear how, how much podcasts will scale mm. as far as just advertising money being available, although it, it is growing a lot and I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, you know, there's video, there's, Mm. films, there's events right. like it, people have talked about, Oh, jur- you know, a newspaper should monetize through events. And yes, people kind of knew that works, but I think this is getting at why it works. The reason why it works, because you have to have the attention, you have to have a reason for people to care first, and then you can leverage that into something where you're, you know, getting large revenue per user. I mean, a a conference doesn't go viral. You have to physically attend a place, right? (laughs) I love that. That 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 I there there should be a we should have a quote book that should go in. But but I but I just think there's like it just suddenly feels like there's this whole publishing discussion has been filled with doom and gloom for so long and now at least for me um, again it's, bits and pieces have been out there people have known like the events thing for example but I feel like there's suddenly like this this you know hopefully it's not the train coming on but there's light at the end of the tunnel man I'm a metaphor machine today mm. um, there's light at the end of the tunnel where and it's exciting like this idea of of building new business models unconstrained by format and actually empowered by the variety of formats that you can are available on the internet by the lowered cost of production. Mm. Like there, there, I mean, again, the company that probably gets us the most is Buzzfeed. Like there's a reason why they're super invested in video and they're mm. actually getting a ton of revenue from video and a, and a huge number of page views and they're doing apps and they're getting more and more on site advertising. Like all their advertising before was this kind of advertising model where they, 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 basically an advertising agency. Now they're starting to pull people back into their sites, uh, particularly their, their apps. And, and they're getting this sort of, it, it, it's like a machine, it's like a, a, a Rube Goldberg machine or something, or what's the machine where stuff, it's a feedback loop mm. where all the different pieces are building up the other pieces, which feed back to the other pieces and go back to these pieces. And you just find somewhere in there, there's those times where you really have consumer attention. You have choke points and boom, you, and you can make money. You can make money, a lot faster. If you have 
a a weaver. Like the 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 opposite of friction, the the end of friction, meaning the end of making money, is that wherever you can get friction, I mean, it's, it's so valuable. It's, it's it's the exact flip side. Huh. It, uh, hmm, that's really interesting. I, it's also interesting from the perspective of the traditional publishers because it's uh, it's kind of encouraging them to stop worrying about. And when I say traditional, I'm probably more referring to text based. Uh, text-based publishers. It's it's kind of saying, actually, guys, what you have, what you have, is super valuable if you do it well. But it also requires you to start to build new capabilities and, and, and reach out and uh, start to branch out into areas that maybe traditionally you haven't been. Or or rather than worrying about feeling like you're being disrupted yourself, go out and build things that are disrupting other people. I remember. Uh, there's a there's a gentleman I follow on Twitter who works in News Corp or in w- the Wall Street Journal. I think Raju Narasetti. Apologies if I've butchered his name, but he's a very progressive thinker in the in the publishing space. And I remember him writing a little while ago when launching uh, a TV slash video initiative for the Wall Street Journal. How it was so nice to be going out and disrupting somebody else rather than feeling like he was defending his own turf. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to be hard though. I mean, it's easy to sit here and say, oh, this is what you should do. Mm. But that's where all the stuff we talk about, all the institutional biases, mm. like there's a huge bias towards print, like there's a huge biases being on the front page. Um, you know, like all that sort of stuff is going to be very hard to overcome. And that's, and again, that's why new entrants have an advantage. Like BuzzFeed, look at the BuzzFeed mm. versus the New York Times. Like, it, <laughs> you know, I mean, but when you're when you're coming in and you're creating incentives for the new world order right. where you're you the entire everything about your company is built with the with internet assumptions and not with old school assumptions the it's impossible to overstate what a massive advantage that is it makes up for resources it makes up for all sorts of things where you might be behind in and then once you start rolling the resources will follow it's super cool. I, I so, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I, I'm I'm enjoying this frame of it where you start to think about the, the, the just the, the the notion of changing the delivery mechanism. Like, stop thinking in terms of that and start thinking in terms of attention. Yeah. So, the, 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 like <sighs> the, the the fundamental unit here that matters is is the the person in many respects. Mm. And this was. Um, and with, with, so there's a few things that's exciting about this. One is the frustration with the scale approach is, um, and I used Vox as an example, and they're kind of my go-to example, I guess, in part because I both really like the site and I both get really frustrated, and maybe that's why I get really frustrated with by it. Um, like they they have such great political and po- policy analysis, um, but uh, and if you disagree and you think they're liberal or whatever, please don't bring it. Um, uh, <laughs> Sorry, it's just a, you're on we, fire tonight. People can disagree; it's fine. Like I, I, I appreciate that some people, whatever. Um, I don't usually don't bring politics, so don't bring it to me. Um, the uh, uh, now I'm off track. Oh, but but then they have fill like rewriting like what was the latest you know uh, John Oliver quip like 
and we have 47 rewrites and it's annoying. And, but you go and you go to the Vox Facebook page and look at what has the most shares. It's all the rewrites. It's all the repostings of videos. And so you understand why they do it, but it's frustrating. It's frustrating to me as a reader. And that's what made Grantland so refreshing was you went there excited to see what was there because you knew it was going to be good. There's going to be, you would read stuff like, I think I've told the story like in, in university, how I changed my major a bunch of times. Mm. And I just decided to take, you know, classes with great professors. And I ended up taking like all these classes that I never would have imagined, but ended up being super impactful on my thinking and stuff like that. Mm. that like that's what that it might be overstating it a bit, but that's what Grant was like. I would read about topics that I would normally have no interest in or would have never have clicked through on social media. But I went there because, well, it's on there. I'm already on the site. I clicked it. And it'd be like uh, this amazing story that was like, that was fantastic. But and the problem was like, it was a, like it was a money sink, right? They, they had to have lost millions and millions and millions of dollars, but they did none of this. Like they did no real monetization. They had actually really successful podcasts, not just the Bill Simmons one, but several other ones that, that had no advertising really at all. So they didn't really try for one. Um, but for two, uh, what's interesting about this and what's potentially exciting is I talked about there being this hole in the middle, right? The big guys at scale work, the little guys like me work, but there's, there's, there's nothing in the middle. Mm. And that's, a, that's a loss for one, uh, doing what I do is super hard, right? I, I mean, like I'm right every day I'm doing, you know, even was what group, like it's, it's hard. It's not, it's not easy. And there's a lot of people that have great things to contribute that, that, that model doesn't fit Two, like it works for me. Cause I talk about tech news and there's tech news every day. Uh, if you're doing long form content or deep reporting or all this sort of stuff that you're, you might only publish once a month or once every two months, you might need a travel budget. Like there's all these pieces that don't work. And the kind of the hope is in, well, hopefully the New York times can cover it all. Right. Mm. Um, but if it, if there if there is a, this new model, then there's a potential for something new because um, of something that we've talked about in passing. But I would like to get into it more because I, I feel it's so widely under, understood, and that's uh, bundling. Hmm. So we've talked about bundling probably mostly in the context of TV. Um, I think we've talked about TV on the podcast, uh, but the the and this is something that people have a really hard time I think wrapping their head around. Um, we'll, we'll talk about sport, the sports league since you're such an American sports expert. <laughs> So uh, you talk about uh, there's talk a when and if will sports go over the top, meaning it's delivered over the internet instead of through TV. And people are like, well, you know, once they go over the top, the sports leagues will just sell directly to customers, right? You'll subscribe directly to the NFL, you subscribe directly to, 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 to baseball. And my contention is actually, no, you won't, and you won't because of bundling economics. And what I mean by that is, say, uh, say ESPN wants to sell, or say, sorry, let's say the NBA wants to sell to you for ten dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they want to sell to you for ten dollars a month, uh, and you sell for ten dollars a month, and then they will collect ten dollars a month from their best customers. Right, your willingness to pay has to be at least at, okay. at least that at least yeah, or it has to be 10, some, at least ten dollars a month. Right, exactly. And the problem is, so they're going to reach a limited number, a limited number of fans. Uh, maybe there's like the baseball, the baseball will charge $10 a month and they'll get the baseball fans, but they're not going to get anybody else on the other. Now I'm a basketball fan, but yeah, I could watch a baseball game. That's actually not true, uh, but I could watch a baseball game. I'm not going to pay $10 a month for it. And like, well, how much you pay for it? I don't know, pay $3 a month um, or pay 
you know, $5 a month or something like that. Well, what happens is, uh, because I have these second order preferences where there's other things I would like to watch, but I'm not willing to pay as much for them. But there are other people who would pay for baseball. They're not going to pay full price for basketball, but they'd pay a little bit. Well, guess what? You put me and them together, sell baseball and basketball as a package. You can actually charge more for the combination and reach more customers so that the the payback to basketball and to baseball is actually greater than it would be from the customers they have because they're getting less per customer, but they're getting more customers. And uh, Chris Dixon has a really great post on this. I've linked to it a bunch on Shotechery. I've, re- I've written about this as well in the Daily Update a couple times, but I'm, we'll put this in the mm. show notes if this sounds like gibberish, in re- where he explains exactly how this works with charts and graphs and stuff like that. Um, but it's absolutely true. And that's the reason why, why I always say that cable is a great deal. And the reason it's a great deal is because as long as you want to watch more than one channel, or as long as you want to watch more than the two or three, and if... And people say, oh, I only watch one thing. And then you actually look at what they watch. They've watched like six things or Mm. 16 things. Um, It turns out that getting everybody together and paying jointly ends up being a better deal for both, for both sides. It actually is a win-win situation. I want to ask a question that may may reveal my... uh, ignorance of both cable TV in America and maybe sports as well. If that's true, why are the number of subscribers, cable subscribers in the U.S. declining? Well, first off, uh, it's a great question. So one, they are declining. I th- it's reasonable to argue this is a the slow decline before the big decline, but it's still a relatively slow decline. It it's, has not been growing for a while. Now it's starting to decline, and everyone's wondering, is it going to fall off a cliff soon? Mm. The reason why I think uh, is that bundling depends on second order preferences. That's more important than the first order preference, right? Because if you only care about one thing, you're better off just paying for the one thing. Mm -hmm. If I'm not going to ever watch baseball, then paying any more than $10 a month makes the baseball basketball bundle a loss for me. Mm -hmm. So the way I put it, and I wrote about this back in 2013, is I kind of put that the jobs TV does, that TV did five jobs, Mm. uh, keep us informed, educate, give a show sports, uh, enlighten and storytell and provide escapism. And the problem is those are getting peeled away by the internet. Like keep us informed is long gone. No one, no one uh, uses the internet for news unless you're like seven years old. And like, wait, wait, w- no, no one like, knows cable. Sorry, uses, yeah, use the TV. Like yeah. the, and I'm not joking. Like the average age of like the US newscast is like 70 or something or 67 or something. It might be 73. It's, 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 it's around 70. Um, Two, no one really uses TV to educate themselves, right? Uh, so the, that, <laughs> those are gone. So now we're down to three, sports, enlighten and storytelling, provide escapism. Well, escapism, we've already talked about that. Facebook, YouTube, would you just want to like check out and zone out? The internet's really freaking good at that. Right. So that one's starting to go away a little bit. Not completely. There's a lot of people that just still watch a lot of TV. It's still like four hours a day per some per adult, which blows my mind. Mm. Um uh and then so that's shaky. And then enlighten and storytell. Well, who are the best storytellers today? For sure, number one's HBO, which you can get directly. Uh, there's Netflix doing all original shows, Amazon's doing the original shows, and yes, there's still original shows on cable, but we have the a glut as it is. Like you could, if 
if you think about from a job perspective, you can get the job done of watching great TV without having cable. So that one's shaky, if not fallen. So that leaves sports. And so the problem is all the second order jobs, maybe you care most about one of these, but if the other ones no longer matter to you at all, then the bundle starts making less and less sense. And and I think that's definitely the case, particularly with young people who are more likely to get escapism on the internet, more likely to, to uh, I think the escapism is probably the big one for young people. Like who veges out, what young person veges out watching TV? They veg out watching YouTube or, you know, playing games or, you know, being on social networks. So uh, this is, this is really interesting. It sounds like the the bundling is starting to come undone by virtue of the fact that, wait, well, it, uh, that the that all these jobs that cable has pre- or TV has previously done are starting to drop away, and the last one that's there is now sports. But the secondary reason why you'd get on the bundle is starting to is is also starting to fade away, which or at least starting to look shaky, which is going to suggest that even the sports may be on shaky ground. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think uh, we're a little off time. Um, well, that's fine. Uh, sports. The thing with sports is sports is like the best business ever <laughs> because it has to be live. It's repeating like the lifetime value of a sports fan is astronomical and they'll pay a lot of money for to, to watch their games, to get the stuff, all that, all that sort of thing. And for sure right now, um, sports is holding the bundle together, ESPN in particular. Um, and I think a lot of the the cord shaving and cord cutting is happening with people who don't like sports for sure. Cause if you like sports, you, you have to have cable. Like there's just really no, no two ways about it. Um, I mean, it's great. I live one of the great things about living internationally is I actually get to live in the future where I get to watch any game I want. I mean, as long as I pay up, um, because there's no blackouts, there's no that sort of stuff in the, if you live in the U S uh, like, yeah, you can buy the, the baseball package or the basketball package, but you can't watch any game that's on TV whether national game or a local game, which means you have, if you care, you have no choice, but, but to subscribe. Do you find that? So I'm, I'm just going to typecast you as a typical uh, sports watcher. Do you find as a result of living in the future that you end up spending more or less than what you would per month on cable? Oh, I, I mean, I personally, it, it's probably less, but that's more because I, I haven't, um, uh, I just haven't subscribed like I, because I don't watch drama stuff. I don't watch HBO. I don't watch, I don't watch Netflix. Mm. Um, and, but if I did, it would probably be more. And that's another thing. Like, I, I think a lot of people just think about, Oh, my cable bill is so expensive. Mm. It like, the reality is this future world, however, ends up checking out. We're going to pay about the same, if not more, like this is a reshuffling of money. And I think if you think that you're going to end up paying less, you're going to pay less if you watch significantly less. Uh, but if you want to have anything sort anything similar to the the amount of content you watch now, you're going to be paying the same, if not more. It's interesting. I I, I wonder how many. Pay, well, if if someone was anchored on the job of escapism, or they were anchored on the job of news, or they were anchored on the job of sto- of storytelling, I feel like they're going to end up paying a lot less in this new world than they would have in the old world. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, you get Netflix at Netflix at ten dollars a month, HBO at fifteen dollars a month. And if you're into this, you're into this, right? You're not going to miss the hot new show and not be part of the conversation. Yeah, right? that's true. I you mean, watch, but- now Star Trek's going to be on CBS. You have to pay another eight dollars there. Uh-huh. You're going to like it, it. It adds up 
pretty quickly. And people have this, like the average cable bill in the U.S., people are, oh, it's $100. No, that usually includes internet. The average cable in the U.S. is $56, or it was like last year. It, it might be like 60-something now. Um, like, you're going to get to that number and surpass it uh, pretty quickly. And yeah, maybe you might feel oh, you might feel great about it because you're not paying your cable company. Well, it turns out, and then, oh, and then you want to watch the debate, the, the Republican debates on Fox. Oh, I don't, does anyone have a TV? Can I watch it? <laughs> like you end up introducing a lot of friction in your own life that I think you'll realize that eh, kind of having everything accessible wasn't the worst thing in the world. Mm. Well, I, I've, the Republican debates through the lens of Twitter, I feel like are much more entertaining. No, no, no I, know, I, just remember, I just remember that. that just, I just remember someone made that joke at the time. It's like, it's kind of funny. All these alleged cord cutters are sure desperate for a, for a TV right now. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but it's interesting. And so you're, so everything's breaking apart, but what's going to happen in the long run is it's going to get rebundled, right? Like that, that's because the economics are just so compelling. And just to take this back to the Grantland idea, I, I think that, um, you know, you think about paying for content, right? And, and I get, I get this a lot, like, oh, I want to pay for, you know, the reason why people told me I, my model never works because, oh, no one's want to pay for you and pay for someone else. Blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out enough people will pay just for me, but there's definitely an issue. Like there's more and more people trying my model in, in, in tech or, or wherever. And are, if it, you're going to pay, you pay for three of them, you're up to like 30 bucks a month. And the information you're up to like $70 a month, right? There's uh, going it, having a bunch of standalone subscriptions doesn't scale from a, it's like a, it's like a printer's dilemma sort of thing. Um, it's probably not a printer's dilemma, but it's one of those dilemmas, uh, where basically it's not optimal behavior for the market as a whole, but it, it might be optimal for individual actors. Um, and, and, in the long run, again, a bundle. The things about the thing about bundles is that they make sense for both sides. They they make sense for the producers and they make sense for the consumers. And if you want, if you want to get into this sort of thing where you, you actually want to build a high quality site, you want to actually have editors. And my readers would you know would think that'd be fantastic. I'm sure you want to have or copy editors anyway. Um, you want to have the sort of stuff that Grantland puts out. You're not going to like the whole question is, is that ever sustainable? But if there is some sort of model here, it could actually end up being not just sustainable, but actually a superior approach because you start getting positive economics if you can build the right product with multiple parts and multiple people in it because you get the bundle payoff. Um, and it turns out one thing that I've realized is most journalists and most writers aren't particularly suited or interested or whatever in like, coding up a web page and like running a, a business. And that's fine. Like if you think about it, it's kind of retrograde to think that you have, like I talk about comparative advantage all the time. You should focus on what you're good at. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, are we saying that this, the, the, the solution for journalism is to do more of what you're bad at. That doesn't, it's like the same thing as you're pushing a rock up uphill in some respects. And again, I don't know. I haven't fully thought through all the details and how this would pay off, but I know that bundles work. And so you think about if the fundamental unit of this new model is people, not necessarily format, well, what about bundling people, bundling the best sort of writers, the writers with a certain sort of sensibility, the people that do things a certain way, and then having this new kind of bundle, new kind of monetization. Again, I, I, I can't say definitively it's going to work. It just, it, there's light, and, and that's exciting to me, and I can see a path to not just this new funnel, but to the, a new economics around 
the idea of bundling that might make it actually more viable than the one man operation or more viable than, than operating, you know, at scale. So the question I'm I'm dying to ask is: Are you going to start putting Stratechery as part of a bundle anytime soon? No, no plans. Um, but it, I mean, no. <laughs> well, I mean, no. It's fine. And, and there's no question that uh, I was writing this and I'm thinking about myself and mm. I'm thinking about my business all the time. Um, I mean, we already did the story Stratechery, but that that story hasn't ended by any means. And um, no, for I, I don't know, but it's it, it definitely makes you think about about what makes sense. And it's, it's, it's a little scary, frankly, because what I have works. Right. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing about adding, building, expanding is, uh, that's a very large fixed cost. You know, like it's like, it's like the, um, I'm at a, I'm at a a local maxima right now. Right. Mm -hmm. What I do works, it's working well. And maybe there's a mountaintop to use our analogy from last time right over there, but I'm, you, you have to cross over a a pretty harrowing Valley along the way. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm but I'm always thinking, um, if I, if I ever fall into a, um, I, I suspect if I ever fell into being comfortable with my model and my business, then it's not, Every that's a bad sign because that means my writing probably sucks as well. Cause this is what I do. I think about business models. I think about sort of stuff. And so of course I'm going to always be thinking about, about myself. That's yeah. I, I, it's interesting. I, Hey, if text is the, uh, if text is the viral, uh, if text is the viral kind of sharing, generate the audience and uh podcast is the monetization, uh, uh, mechanism that I got a pretty good deal partnering with you on exponent yeah, while you exactly. do all the I, writing. <laughs> no kidding. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, fortunately, fortunately, we don't make any money on exponent really yet. Yeah. No offense to Wealthfront. Um, but I'd like to think they're getting a great deal. Um, it's, it, it is interesting though. And this gets to the local maxima thing, right? Um, again, I don't know that podcasts are the end all be all. Mm. Um, but, uh, I mean, you look at someone like, um, uh, I don't know, like, like John Gruber, for example, I mean, but post by posted ad rates, he probably is making more on his podcast than he is on his site, which is surprising, right? If, but it makes sense when you get back to the thing I was talking about. Like he has a great ad unit as it is, but it's an even more compelling ad unit in, in a podcast because of the native, you know, of, of the way it works. Um, yeah. I and mean, right now I make the vast majority of my money on subscriptions, but Maybe that gets clever or something else. And then the the thing that that I, I didn't know it was gonna be all about me, but then I started thinking about well, what if what if my daily updates were actually free? What if I was putting this content out there? How much growth would I be getting? And how many other opportunities, whether it be speaking, whether it be you know the podcast, whether it be other stuff like that, would would come to them? But the only way to find that out is to basically chop off my existing income stream, right? And right. we this, you talk about the old media companies like. I'm I, now your old media. No, exactly. I mean, it's so easy to get in your soapbox and tell companies what they should or should not do. But it, these decisions, when actually your job's at stake and other people's livelihoods at stake, or in my case, you know, my family or whatever, it's actually really, really difficult, hot. right? Yeah. Do I want to kiss away a very good income in the pursuit of an even better one? I mean, the money's not that it, for me, it's more about, do I want to build something like mm. beyond myself? Right. And I know Stratechery is Ben Thompson. Do I want to build like an actual publication? Um, I, I mean, I don't know it, but it's, it's definitely, I definitely have a lot more sympathy for the folks that I'm sitting in my pajamas telling them what to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it also, uh, it, 
I don't know. It makes it more real when I hear you talk about it in those terms than 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 the company terms or listening to. I mean, one of the things that I've always admired about Rupert Murdoch is on his path to the top, he was willing to push all his chips in and stand up at so many points in time. And uh, listening to you think about that and the impact on your family and everything else like that, it just makes you realize how hard that is to do. Yeah, well, we, we praised both Vox and Rupert Murdoch, so I think we covered our bases. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, 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 it's interesting. And, and I don't know, like I, I, I'm, um, I didn't, I, I will say I, I never started, you know, like a, a VC-backed company or anything and, and um, I'm pretty sure I never will. But I, even though I only have like a one-man company, basically, mm. like I, I do treasure it a lot because of stuff like this. I mean, you, yeah, you know intellectually that, uh, starting a business hard, you know, intellectually that mm. m- making trade-offs is difficult, but it gets a lot, it gets a lot more real, uh, when, when, when it's yourself. And again, it's more, it's like living abroad, right? The big advantage of living abroad is not that is not a, is not what you learn about the culture that you're in. Mm. It's what you learn about the culture that you leave. And, 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 and it's more, you learn about what you don't know. Like it becomes so apparent to you. There's so much that you just don't know and, and not, and knowing that you don't know stuff is one of the most powerful things that can happen to you as a person, because you just get so much more humility and grace and your eyes open to so many more things. Right. And yeah, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use uh, my, well, in my decision as a therefore I think the New York Times should do this. No, it's more I can just appreciate uh, that it's hard. It, it, like you it's felt easy the to give advice. In your stomach, right? Yeah, and uh, and and the stuff like incentives is is a very real thing, right? It was easy talk about the Twitter thing, right? It was so like I, <laughs> I mean, this is one thing people whatever. This sounds terrible. Like it, Twitter was more fun when I had three hundred followers for like seven years. Right, because I I didn't have to have a no tech Ben Twitter account. I tweet about whatever the heck I wanted to, and uh, you know probably would have gotten myself in trouble if anyone cared, but no one did. And of course, at the time, like oh, I would love to have more Twitter followers. It wasn't me. Blah, 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 blah. And now it's like, yeah, that that that, that kind of stinks. Um, <laughs> I forgot what my point was. No, I don't know. I I. I, I, I'm I, all left up after watching that basketball game. Yeah, you really are. It's like uh, I, I this no tech Ben is definitely it's, <laughs> it's definitely a different dynamic doing a podcast with your alter ego than it is with you. But I'm kind of enjoying it. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm glad to be uh, back home with my real mic, and I'm sure our, our grumpy listener is happy as well. well I, I feel like it was grumpy listener, but I blocked him on Twitter, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I actually never. I, I've blocked like less than five people, which is probably a bad idea. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I just try, it's, I'm either going to get into trouble or it's going to make me worked up and unhappy. And uh, like, it's just not like sometimes if, if, yeah, sometimes it's just not worth it and you need to take yourself out. Yeah. I can't, man, what was my point? I can't feel like I can't like talk about my, my Twitter <laughs> followers growing. It's very frustrating. Oh, amazing. All right. Well, that went off the rails quickly. Um, but uh, I feel like I explained the bundle thing poorly. Um, so that posted the show notes. I would, if anyone listening doesn't get bundle economics, and I talk about it a lot because 
it, I think it's really important to understand. Um, and it, it applies to lots of things. It applies to the TV stuff. It applies, it, it applies to business models all the time. Like what the, with the Jim Barksdale quote, right? The only way to make money in business is by bundling and unbundling. Like, and, and it, it's funny because it's true. Um, and, uh, so yeah, there you go. It's going to be interesting. So if you, if you think that it's, it's, it's being unbundled and that people are, 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 as a result of everything that's going on in the industry right now, the unbundling is, is, uh, people think, I mean, uh, people think that they're getting a better deal when they just buy the thing they want. And maybe if it is, there is just one thing they want, that's true. But if if the argument holds that bundles are better on both sides, it's going to be really interesting to see how, for example, those five jobs that you identified end up being rebundled in the future. Well, th- what's interesting is I think they end up not being rebundled, but I think basically you get new bundles in different dimensions is mm-hmm. what happens. And so... Uh, yeah, that that's the bundle that worked for TV, but TV was constrained by the format. Mm. Um, and now with the the internet, where there's it's different, like you're going to get different sorts of bundles, right? You might have one company that does all those jobs, or and does it from a certain perspective. No one does from 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 a different perspective. I mean, you can kind of see this a little on the internet already. Uh, like what what differentiates a site like Vox or a site like Grantland? It's a certain sensibility in the way they write. They might talk about the same things, but they talk about it differently, and one may appeal to you in a different way. So now they're they're organizing themselves. And you think about it if the if the if the goal is competing for attention, like they're they're uh, they're they're segmenting, but they're segmenting in, uh, along a different dimension. And I think that's what happens with this bundling rebundling thing is that something comes up to shake it all up and then it reshuffles and doesn't reshuffle the way it was before. If it reshuffled the way it was before, then why did it break up in the first place? Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, the other thing that the other thing that that's interesting about this is um, I mentioned, you know, uh, the scale and the one man thing works. The one man thing, I think ultimately it doesn't scale broadly again because but the economics of bundling are so compelling that I think ultimately that will subsume the one man sort of shop, presuming you can get a business model that works. And now maybe there is at least the shades of the outline of a business model that might work. Um, the, the other question is the sites that go for scale. Um, and I think probably like Vox and the verge and stuff like that you know, are, are examples of this. That those are all the same company. Um, you know, with this Facebook be a we started out talking about, Again, the thing about, you know, back in the day with newspapers, when TV came along, yes, TV took off advertising dollars. Newspapers made less. We've talked about, you know, the mm. amount of advertising dollars is pretty constant. But because TV was constrained by the format and by time, like it couldn't take all the dollars. It just, there wasn't enough space. The difference with something like Facebook getting 1 billion daily active users Crazy. is there's a lot of space. And yes, Facebook is still more, much more expensive than traditional display advertising, but the, the unit is really compelling. The ROI is getting better and better. And the question is how just the, the, the publishing industry in general, the online publishing industry is a bit like those enterprise companies we talked about going against AWS, like they're fighting for whatever part of the island is not going to be drowned out. And that means the need for scale is getting so massive, right? Yes, Vox and The Verge are all doing very well, uh, but man, they got like, it's like they can't stop running. Like they, you got to keep getting bigger and bigger because this Facebook ocean 
is mm-hmm. is just threatening. Yeah, it, it, in the long run, it, it's it's such a threat, um, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see just you know to see how that plays out in the long run. Like how how safe is scale broadly, and if it is safe, like what does that mean? What size does that mean? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch that play out. What, what, one more, one more thing. Uh, sorry. No, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, it's, I, this is great. Keep going. The other thing, the other thing about uh, the advertising angle that's really interesting: the implication of advertising being aggregated, where Facebook and Google primarily are just capturing a larger and larger and larger and larger share. Remember, the, the amount of advertising in the U.S. is a constant. It's been a constant for a very long time, which means the more Google and Facebook take and TV is still holding on to its bit, uh, the less there is for everyone else. I think in some respects, uh, the whole startup ecosystem needs to start taking lessons from publishing in that it's always been, if you do, especially doing a consumer startup, just build a product that gets people and the money will follow, right? If you get big enough, you can always monetize through advertising. That's kind of been the rule of thumb. Look at Twitter. I'm not sure that's the case. Twitter is 300 million active users and they're not big enough. Like the, the, the scale that is necessary to succeed with an advertising model is getting so extreme that I think a lot of consumer focused startups are going to have to give a lot more thought to their business model a lot earlier than they are, or else they're going to end up with a nice business that looks like Twitter and no one wants to be Twitter. Right, let me tell you that. The land grab is over. Yeah, I mean, it just the the Facebook and Google won it, particularly, and I think particularly Facebook, Snapchat. I think is is poised to do well in the U.S. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, it, it's I wouldn't if I were starting a consumer focused tech company, I would be very hesitant to just think that I can get the business model for free, like has been kind of the assumption for a long time. I mean, building a consumer tech company is incredibly hard. Like it's harder than an enterprise tech company in many respects. Um, and so it's like, you don't like who can afford to worry about the business model when you just need to get users. And I've written that I've talked about that. You get the users and the money follows, but that's getting a little shakier. I wonder whether there are still instances where that may, I mean, well, it fundamentally comes down to user attention, right? You get, well, you're, you're making the argument it's on the advertiser side. The advertisers are happy dealing with less and less. And as Facebook and Google get more and more. Right. If you get, I mean, if you're super focused and you deliver something super compelling, like I think Pinterest is an example, Pinterest mm. like a hundred million, maybe less like 80 million, mm. but I still think it's, it's, probably a good business. They're so freaking slow. I mean, that's what worries me about that company is they, they should have been monetizing a couple of years ago. I'm not sure what they're doing, but at least theoretically with the audience they have, uh, particularly women uh, and particularly women in the Midwest, which is a, a super tech market for, for um, um, lots of advertising companies and the sort of model they have in the pins. And it's such an interactive thing and you're stating your preference so clearly and your mm. aspirations. It's so compelling that I think they can succeed, but you're getting into an ROI discussion where your R your return has to be super, super, super massive mm. be- to ask advertisers to devote time to another platform, to another format, to another, you know, you, you, your precious advertising unit that is not like anybody else's. Yeah, I, I, I totally get your point. Um, 
I, I totally get your point. I do, I do think characterizing Twitter as the alternative does skate over a little bit of all the other problems that Twitter's had, like... Um, yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, the, the, the big problem for Twitter is the, the product stagnated for years. Right. And, it, and that wasn't an issue just from a user acquisition standpoint. It was an issue from an advertising standpoint. Right. Because the advertising unit is inextricably tied up with the product. And if Twitter, the product isn't a good advertising vehicle and it's turned out it's good for brand advertising, it's advertised, it's, it's monetized pretty well with brand advertising. The problem is size brand is a sort of advertising that it needs size direct response. You can get away with a smaller audience because again, the, the ROI can be so powerful, but Twitter, it doesn't work well for direct response. I mean, you have tweets flowing by, are you going to make a major purchase decision on the spot? Probably like it's just not it. Twitter's it, it, more of a lean back experience, right? And, mm-hmm. Which works better for brand. So the product works better for brand, but the size isn't big enough. The size is good for direct response, and the information that they can theoretically theoretically about their users is good for response. But the the canvas isn't good for isn't good for response. So they have this big mismatch uh, when it comes to their business model on top of the whole user problem. Yeah, I, I would I would say that your point around if you if you're if you're building a business around brand advertising, if you can get a very um, specific and potentially valuable niche or spectrum of users to certain people, uh, to certain advertisers, then I still think you have a shot. Yeah, well, maybe, but Twitter's not that. Twitter is no, is no, no, no. I agree, but Pinterest, Pinterest is closer to that, right? Well, not, well, that's what Vox is doing, right? They have right. these focus sites that you're reaching a certain type of person, mm. and yeah, the the data isn't perhaps as good as good, but they. Gr- create a great canvas. I actually think for all the, I mean, I know the verge and Voss is a ton of crap for all the trackers and stuff on their site. And yes, it's true. And their sites are in, are super large and heavy putting that aside. I feel like the actual presentation is actually, it's actually pretty good. Mm. Right. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and that's exactly what they're doing. Um, the question is, you know, at what point does the Facebook value proposition to, we can identify the exact customer you want to reach and give you a good annual to do it. Like, um, Maybe it never gets there. Maybe, you know, maybe it, and, and they'll probably be fine. They're doing well. Um, so as they were happy to let me know today, because, <laughs> oh, what are you going to do? No, oh, no. I remember, I was, I, sorry, I remember oh, my thing from your before. point. Uh, the, the Twitter thing. Yeah. The incentive thing. Like it was, when I started as trajectory, it was so easy. I could say anything I wanted to. And the hard thing when you get, bigger and you start to like meet people and stuff. It's like, like I I'm actually so grateful. I live in Taiwan for that reason that I'm not like in the Valley. I'm not going to dinner with folks and parties and stuff like that or whatever, because that's like, even no matter activity. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's, you can be as objective. It's it's so subconscious, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm. And and the thing you learn, and you learn this about doing your own business and doing different things, you realize stuff that you do. Um, like, no, everyone thinks that they can resist incentives, they can resist bias and all sort of stuff. But the the whole reason why they're so insidious is that they are subconscious. Mm. Mm. And and I I feel like the more you're sure that you're not biased, and the more you're sure that you are objective, and the more you sh- you're sure, th- like that's the that's danger, 
right? Yeah. You, you warning lights have to be have to be going off, and it's certainly something that I think a lot about. I, we're all totally out of context now, so that makes a lot less sense. But I did remember well, my points. Let's so see I if make you it. can edit it back in. No, <laughs> given my uh, my Adderall fuel delivery here, that's not true. But uh, that's you, not going to be. You, this is. I was thinking. No tech Ben is like three. It's like three cups of of serious coffee in. Yeah, um, I'm going <laughs> to crash and not be able to finish my update today. But what are you going to do? Uh, no, I, well, I've enjoyed it. I I feel like I feel like I've learned a lot. I I really enjoyed the the reframing of the the people of going from the unit of delivery or the the mechanism of delivery to thinking about it more in terms of attention and that some things are better to share and some things are better to monetize. I think that's a great way of thinking about it. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for humoring me. All right. Uh, always. <laughs> thank you for sticking up for until the game finished. <laughs> yeah. No, not a worry at all. I, I hope I, I hope I haven't kept you up too late because you know, we were in a bit of a hurry. No, I, I, you're the one that's up late, not me. <laughs> yeah, I'm teasing. All right, sounds good. Well, yes, it is late for you. What is it? Approaching midnight. So uh, I'm glad I was able to carry you in your in your tiredness. Right, always. Late <laughs> 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 carry, carry me music. We got to get it. We actually yeah. got a few, a few, a few suggestions, which were pretty funny for the most part. Yeah, I know. Um, I tried clicking on one of them in YouTube, and it told me the song wasn't available in the country I was presently in, and I laughed. That is, uh, yeah. That is, uh, I feel like that's funny, and I'm trying to figure out why it is, but I, it is funny. It, it's that they haven't figured. It, I mean, all this internet stuff—they haven't figured it out perfectly just yet. For oh, all the it's, talk of it. it, it's infuriating. I have to deal with that all the time. Um, yeah. yeah anyhow, um, it, but that, it's the old—it's the old thinking, right? Mm. It, it's, you can't quite get rid of this. It. Is classic pajamas in the? In the it's it's old thinking. It's old fashioned. Blah blah blah. <laughs> um, Look at me, the internet idealist. Should we think Wealthfront again? (laughs) Yes, we probably should. Uh, um, (laughs) Giddy. This episode is sponsored by Wealthfront. Uh, I find Wealthfront uh, Wealthfront is interesting because it automates habits and strategies that investors should be using on a regular basis, but normally aren't. Great investing is a marathon, not a sprint. If I were running a marathon, James, I would be not doing well because I'd be burned out after like two miles. Uh, and little, I'm fading. I'm fading. And little things that you may not be familiar with, like automated tax loss harvesting, rebalancing, and smart dividend reinvesting can add up to very large amounts of money over time. Wealthfront does all these things to your money automatically. As an exponent listener, You'll get $15,000 managed for free if you decide to open an account, but just start with seeing the portfolio they would suggest for you. Take two minutes, fill out their questionnaire at wealthfront.com slash exponent. It's free and you don't need to give them an email address or anything. You can go there to see what they would suggest for you. Uh, and if you like it, you can sign in and get your first $15,000 managed for free. So our thanks to Wealthfront for uh, sponsoring this episode. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Sounds good. Uh, our thanks to No Tech Ben for guesting, guest hosting this episode. Oh, yeah, no, uh, this ben will be back next week. Uh, <laughs> you promise? Maybe. I will be traveling again, but I'm going to try to get a new mic. Uh, okay. But we'll see. Well, but the user that I blocked on Twitter will be very grateful for that, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, right, sounds good. Uh, I will talk to you soon. See you, mate. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. Wealthfront Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Investing in securities involves risk, and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure.